and welcome to the NICE guidelines for August. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then you will hopefully benefit from the information about to be provided to you. The aim of this is to give you general practice clinicians a short eight to 10 minute overview of primary care related NICE guidelines. My name is Emmett Smith and I'm the clinical quality nurse lead and an advanced nurse practitioner at North Norfolk Primary Care. I'm here with Emma Lambon. Thanks, Emma. Uh, I am the board nurse for North Norfolk Primary Care and I'm a practice nurse. These podcasts are delivered on a monthly basis to help busy clinicians have a simple way of keeping updates on recent changes on NICE guidance. It will also go hand in hand with the monthly newsletter being sent out to all North Norfolk clinicians. This month, we're going to give you updates on just two of the new guidelines. There were lots of heavy subjects to cover this month, but we have hopefully picked out the most useful elements for you. So we'll be discussing today bronchiolitis in children, diagnosis and management, and chronic kidney disease assessment and management. For the other updates or changes made by NICE in August, please refer to your monthly newsletter for information because this will give you the links to the full guidance and an overview of what changes have occurred. Okay, thanks Emma. So let's start with the guidance changes for the diagnosis and management of bronchiolitis in children. Firstly, this guidance was published in June 2015 and was updated on the 9th of August. The main update was around the reviewed evidence and updates on recommendations on oxygen saturation thresholds for referral to hospital and during admission and management and timing of a discharge. The main identifiable um, primary care focus change to the oxygen saturation threshold for admission or deciding or if if you decide on whether or not to keep, keep the child at home. Having been confronted with this many times with a baby or child with bronchiolitis, this can be a scary situation to be put in. But the guidance is very clear cut and can aid decision making around the vital signs and clinical assessment. Um, So, Emma, so what are the main signs to look for when assessing a child with, with bronchiolitis according to the NICE guidelines? Okay, so firstly, take into account that bronchiolitis usually occurs in babies and children under two years. And in fact, it's most common in the under ones. It's also worth considering that symptoms will usually peak at sort of three to five days and that the cough will resolve in 90% of cases within about three weeks. It is, however, difficult to manage when the child and or the parent is distressed. The guidance has changed the observation of persistent oxygen saturations of 92% or less when breathing in room air. This alongside a respiratory rate of over 60 breaths per minute, inadequate oral fluid intake to less than 50 to 70% of normal for the child and clinical dehydration would trigger me to refer the child to hospital. Obviously, this combined with the process of immediate or 999 referral if they have observed or reported apnea or the infant or child looks seriously unwell, if there's severe respiratory distress such as grunting or session or if there's a respiratory rate of over 70 breaths per minute or central cyanosis. Thanks, Emma. That's really useful. It's also worth mentioning that there's also a new reference in this guidance, um, which is part of the changes which occurred on the 9th of August. Um, and it refers to the NHS England patient safety alert on the risk of harm um, from inappropriate placement of um, pulse oximeter probes. 
This was originally issued in October 18, um, but it makes the point that oxygen probes for babies and children need to be selected according to the baby's weight. If an oximeter probe intended for a finger is attached to an ear or vice versa, or a probe is intended for an adult and is attached to a baby or child or vice versa, it can produce a reading up to 50% lower or 30% higher than the real value. So this obviously will impact on your assessment and the news 2 score, so therefore can be significant in one way or the other. It can either falsely reassure you or falsely alert a clinician into taking a pathway um, clinically, which is not appropriate. The alert also asks clinicians to ensure that they have access to the appropriate equipment and that they have the information they need to use to use these devices safely. Um, So the key safety information for looking after a baby or child at home, which is always worth discussing with the child's parent, guardian or carer, are also how to recognise developing red flag symptoms such as worsening of breathing, for example, grunting, nasal flaring, marked chest recession. Fluid intake is 50% to 75% of normal, as you said, Emma, or that there's no wet nappy for at least 12 hours. Um, if there's any sign of apnea or cyanosis, if the child seems exhausted, for example, if they're not responding to normal social cues or they wake up um, only with prolonged stimulation, and that you should advise people should not smoke in the baby or the child's home because it increases the risk of more severe symptoms in bronchiolitis. Um, you should also direct them how to get immediate help from an appropriate professional if any of the, of the red flag symptoms develop, so really sort of uh, robust safety netting. And also any arrangements for follow-up if if you feel that's necessary. Thanks for that, Emma. That's excellent. Now, let's move on to chronic kidney disease NICE guidelines updates. Okay, so um, with this um, guidance, what are the main changes or updates then, please, Emma? Okay, so the main changes are that NICE have reviewed the evidence and made new recommendations on the assessment and management of CKD. There are new and updated recommendations on investigations for CKD, classification, frequency of monitoring, risk assessment, referral criteria and shared care. Blood pressure control, medicines for CKD, phosphate binders to manage mineral and bone disorders, glomular filtration rate for diagnosing anemia associated with CKD, intravenous iron for treating anemia associated with CKD. And these supplements um, are bolted onto the existing recommendations, which are information and education for people with CKD, diagnosing and assessing anemia associated with CKD, managing anemia, assessing and optimizing erythropoiesis in people with anemia and monitoring anemia treatment. Okay, thanks, Emma. Um, that is quite a heavy um, guidance. So let's just perhaps perhaps describe or, or, or speak about one element of these changes for now. So shall we look at the element of diagnosing and assessing anemia with those patients who have CKD? So an element of the guidance changes on CKD and anemia is to consider investigation and management anemia in children, adults and young people with CKD. So you would basically do this if their haemoglobin levels falls to 110 grams per litre or less, um, or this would be just 105 grams per litre or less if they were younger than two years, 
or if they develop symptoms attributable to anemia, such as tiredness, shorts of breath, lethargy, palpitations. Um, in adults and children and young people with anemia, if the EGFR is above 60, you need to investigate the causes of anemia as it is unlikely to be caused by the CKD. Um, but if the EGFR is between 30 and 60, um, it's worth investigating other causes of anemia, but also use your clinical judgment to, to decide how extensive this in investigation should be, because the anemia may well be caused by the CKD. If the EGFR is below 30, then again, think about other causes of anemia, but note again that the anemia is often caused by the CKD. So within the guidance, there's a link to the rationale of the diagnostic role of the glomerular filtration rate and evidence reviews in relation to the EGFR threshold for the investigation of anemia um, due to CKD. It is all a very interesting read, but it does take some time to get through. Um, so if you've got a spare few hours, um, then it's, <laughs> it's worth uh, having a look through just to, to set it right in your, in your own minds. Um, so yeah, so that, that sort of uh, rounds up that element of the updates for the CKD guidance. Um, just going on to um, topical news, really, um, not necessarily related to the NICE guidance, but obviously we've all been struggling um, in the last few weeks with the national blood shortage. Mm, um, and obviously it continues at the moment and we're not expecting any let up until at least the 17th of September. Um, so do you want to just talk a little bit about some struggles that we've had sort of clinically with regards to you know, sort of this, this continued um, blood shortage, blood bottle shortage. Yeah, I think we've all been in the same position, haven't we, Emma? So we've been um, trying to stratify and make best use as per the CCG guidelines with the bottles that we do have. Um, I think there is going to be a, a bit of easing, hopefully after the 17th of September. But in the meantime, it is trying to prioritise as per the CCG guidelines with the bottles that we have got. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bit of a tight squeeze at the moment. Definitely. OK, well, thanks for that. I think that's all we have time for now. So I hope it's really been useful for all you listeners and um, we'll be back next month. So see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.